Thank you for joining us today. We'll be studying the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll be discussing what the Bible says about how we should think about lawsuits and disputes as Christians. So if you'll open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll begin our lesson. Why don't we go ahead and get started and I'll open us up in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for this opportunity for this group to gather together every week. We also thank you for those who are able to dial in and listen in remotely and those who will also be listening in later on to the podcast of this. Father, as we continue our study of 1 Corinthians, the area that we're studying now about lawsuits and disputes and divisions and issues that we have with others, both believers and non-believers, I just pray that you help us understand how we are to handle those types of situations that come up in our own lives each and every day, how we can reflect you, reflect Jesus to others when there are disputes either that we have with others or others have disagreements with us, or even when we might be able to facilitate some type of reconciliation between two other people. Just help us to really understand what you're trying to teach us in your word today. We thank you for your word and I ask that you speak through me and speak through all of those present with us today as we have our discussion. Father, I also just want to lift up the mission team as Pastor George and his group puts together this mission trip that we have upcoming next month, that you continue to work in a way to assemble the group that you want assembled. You put on people's hearts the desire to go and be part of this, those that you want there. We ask that you continue to work with the churches there in Veracruz as they prepare for our arrival and for volunteers to go out onto the streets of Veracruz with us to share the gospel and be witnesses for you. And we ask that you continue to prepare the hearts of those that we'll encounter while we're there in Veracruz. We lift that all up to you as well. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to continue our study here of 1 Corinthians. We really had great discussion last week, and I appreciated everyone's participation. And if you missed last week, I encourage you, once I get that one posted, that you go out and take a look at that. We continue our study of of 1 Corinthians, and we'll be in 1 Corinthians 6 today. Just to kind of set up what Paul is leading us through here in this part of 1 Corinthians, last week we spent our time talking about church discipline and issues along people who are living lifestyles that are clearly not the way Christ calls us to live our lives, and we had some great discussion about that. And today we're going to talk about more of the disputes that we see that we have with each other, that I know that we've got many lawyers in this group, so we're going to be speaking directly to some of what you deal with on a day-in and day-out basis, so I'm hopeful that even though, again, we have a pretty short chapter today, that we'll also have some interesting discussion as we contemplate and try to discern how are we to now go about our lives when we have disputes, serious disputes with others, what is Paul and what is Jesus Christ calling us to do. So let's begin in chapter 6, verse 1. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law, meaning go to court, before the unrighteous and not before the saints? And remember, every time when we see saints, when Paul is writing, some of your uh, translations may even say believers, true believers, holy ones. So what he's saying is, it's just 
inconceivable to Paul that believers would sue each other in court and put their disputes before an unbeliever to determine the outcome. He just says, that just seems crazy. Why would you even do that? And he's going to spend this chapter talking about that. Verse 2, or do you not know that the saints, meaning the believers, will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, meaning us as believers, are you not competent then to constitute the smallest law courts? So Paul's explaining why would the believing church bring their disputes before unbelievers to have a determination made? Aren't we as believers in a better position to try to help not only our brothers when they're having disputes, but even when we're having a disagreement with someone, why wouldn't we take that to a believer to try to help us as opposed to taking it to a unbelieving law court? And we're going to see this, that we as believers will actually reign with Christ to judge the world. And we're also going to see that we as believers, we're actually going to judge the angels, particularly the fallen angels. So he's saying, why in the world, what is this court system that we're taking our disputes before unbelievers to try to have a determination made? It makes no sense. Verse 3, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more than matters of this life? So he's saying the church is certainly competent to judge the trivial matters of these worldly disputes that we have. Verse 4, if then you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? So again, he's saying appointing non-believers to judge you just makes absolutely no sense. Verse 5, I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers? So Paul's saying, are you telling me that none of you has the spiritual wisdom to be able to judge a dispute between believers, and instead you're going to court? Paul's appalled by this. And he's also concerned that why would you as a believer want to go air all your problems to non-believers? Just by doing that, you're discrediting and damaging the reputation and witness of the church. So what he's saying is we shouldn't be going outside our family of believers to try to have our disagreements settled or ruled upon. Verse 7. Actually, then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? So here he's saying Christians are to be united in love and we're to serve one another. And so it would be much better for us as Christians to be wronged by someone and even cheated by someone than to be fighting and bickering with each other in having these disputes, and we saw this in the very beginning of 1 Corinthians, he's addressing these divisions that are among the church. It was causing divisions, some of the disputes that they had with one another. And yet, they're taking their disputes to unbelievers. Someone had a question or a comment? Yeah, Larry, is that like between, say, two believers? I mean, what if, what if one of the believers is just falling off and just has kind of gone the other direction? I mean, is this, is this addressing that as well? 
I think he is saying that it does bring discredit for even us as a believer to be suing someone in court. Now, I'd love to hear what other people think about that because he's talking about if we're deemed righteous and he's going to be talking about that here in a few verses and we're viewed as righteous before God, what does Jesus tell us? If our enemy slaps us, we should turn the cheek and let him slap the other cheek. And I think that's what he's talking about. It would be better for us to be wronged than to be bickering and having all these disputes, certainly with believers, but I think it even goes further. How should we conduct ourselves before everyone? Look, don't get me wrong. I don't mean to sound preachy. I'm not very good at this either, but I do think that's what we're called to do. What do others, anybody else want to weigh in on this? Well, first of all, the early church was really setting standards. I mean, there were some things that were going on in the early church. I mean, look at Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit about what they gave when they came in, and they fell over dead. Well, how often do we see that happening? And, you know, this is a New Testament church where that happens. I'm not saying there's not a standard to hold to, but I think that they were a group that had everything in common. People were being added to their numbers. It's a little different situation than, let's just say, you're a part of a church and somebody comes in from the outside and maybe they're a member of the church, but they're not really living as a Christian and You hate to say that it's not black and white, but there are times that people, they're not living as Christians, they're not part of the body of Christ, and I think there's a little different application there, and I do think the whole turn the other cheek, yeah, there are times that somebody still takes your cloak and you hand them your tunic also, you know, uh, they steal your car stereo and you go, well, here, here's my wallet or whatever, but that's where being in tune with the Holy Spirit I think that's very astute. I I think at first, obviously, I'm speaking as a lawyer, right? So I think we have to check our hearts first and make sure that we're right with God when we're doing this and discern whether we're a contributing cause to this. And we should do everything we can to avoid it. But I don't read this as an absolute prohibition against all lawsuits all the time. I think you have to be right with God and check what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. I mean, I'll tell you a real-life example I'm dealing with right now where a church is had a, a member that was in charge of constructing a, a substantial addition for them and got in trouble. And they have to file a lawsuit in this situation because they've got to figure out which subcontractors get paid and, and sort out all this. To, there's an orderly resolution of this issue, and clearly everyone's prayed about it and thought hard about it, but it's, it's a means to get it resolved. I think this is really just something that tests our heart and makes sure that before we go down this path, we've, we've really thought it through. Yeah, exactly. And then prayed about it. That what is God telling you to do in this situation? And sometimes it's fight and sometimes it's just trust and believe that he's going to take care of you. Any other thoughts or comments? All right, well, let me continue on. I think I left off in verse 7. So verse 8, on the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. So we actually do this not only to unbelievers, but we wrong and defraud our brethren. Part of our wrong is by not turning our other cheek. Rather than doing that, we seek and demand justice and recompense, and I'm going to get even or I'm going to make this person pay. 
let me just real quick interject this, and I've, I've talked about this before, but I just want to bring it up again because we all have disputes with people. It may be friends, family members, people that we did business with. It can be a lot of people. You may right now have somebody that you're thinking of that maybe wronged you at some point or said something to you that you just thought was terrible and you've really been irritated about it for a long time. You just felt wronged about it. And I don't want to go into the full story because I've said it many times, but this doctor that made a terrible mistake that caused my daughter at two months to end up where she is now with brain damage and physical impairments just because of a medical accident. You know, that tore me up for a long, long time. I was really mad. I wanted to make sure he didn't make that kind of mistake and harm another child. And we did begin a lawsuit. As I got into it, we decided that that was not the right thing to do. And it took me a long time to get there. I was still consumed with anger about this doctor, and it took me years. But when I got to the point where I could forgive that doctor, it was such a weight lifted off my heart. And I don't even think about it anymore. And so all the bandwidth that I wasted for years consumed with this anger it was just a total waste of time. And once I, it wasn't me, the Holy Spirit helped me find a way to forgive this doctor. It was very freeing. I mean, it just lifted off this terrible gut feeling I had all the time. I'm, almost any time I had a spare minute, I was just consumed by it. And so I just interject that since we're talking about disputes here. If you're in a situation like that, I just encourage you to pray to the Holy Spirit to help you find the forgiveness of that person. And I will tell you, it's one of the most freeing things when you can just rid yourself of that anger and feeling like you were wronged by somebody. Once you move on from that, it's just an incredible feeling. And it's so freeing. I think the forgiveness is more for the forgiver than the person that's being forgiven when it comes to these types of things. Certainly, God's forgiveness of us, it's more... It's more important about us being forgiven. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I, I'm just talking about disputes because we all have them, and I just encourage you to think about that. Okay, let me move on now. Verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. Let me just define some of these to make sure we all understand what we're talking about. So fornication is basically sexual intercourse between two unmarried people. Nor idolaters, so that's pagan worship, nor adulterers. Adultery is intercourse sex where at least one is married. That's the difference between fornication and adultery. Nor effeminate, so that's some type of gender perversions around gender, sex, and what have you. Nor homosexuals, similar to that nor thieves, nor the covetous, covetous is greed, nor drunkards, nor revilers, that's slander, that could be uh, someone who's saying bad, untruthful things about others, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. So that list, there's something on that list that more than likely could apply to each one of us at some point in our life. And he's saying, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, 
Sanctified means we were set apart. We were made holy as believers. But you were justified, so we were declared innocent in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So we all used to be this way, but Paul's saying now we have a new identity in Christ. We should be new people, and this should not be our lifestyle. Just like we talked about last week, it doesn't mean perhaps every now and then you may fall into some of this, but as soon as you do, you recognize it as a sin. So he's talking more about people who are living these types of lifestyles and don't even see it as sin, not the occasional slip-up. But he is saying that that used to be us, and we are not to live that way. That should not be our lifestyle now that we've been sanctified, justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and so we should live as Jesus taught us to live, particularly since we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us to help us do that. He continues on, verse 12. All things are lawful for me. Kind of sounds like our culture, right? Hey, I ought to be able to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it, as long as I'm not hurting somebody else. You know, I ought to be able to do anything. And Paul's saying, yeah, all things are lawful for me. But he continues on, but not all things are profitable, or your translation may say beneficial. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. He's saying even the sexual desires that some of them have now been mastered by, just because it's a natural function, that doesn't mean it's always okay. While everything is permissible, we're free to do anything. We're going to see, he's going to talk about food and things like that. We're free to do whatever we want, but not all of it is beneficial for our walk with Christ. Even though we've already been forgiven, we shouldn't just take grace and abuse it and say, well, I know I'm going to be forgiven, so I'm going to go do this anyway. Now you're talking about going down the path of these lifestyles. That's not what we're called to do. He continues on, verse 13. Paul says, food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. So he's saying while God created sex and food and they are to be enjoyed, they're to be enjoyed in the right way, in the way that God intended. But both of those are going to be destroyed as we know them when Christ comes again and we're reigning with him. Those things are going to go away. Verse 14, now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. He's saying since we now belong to Christ, and we're going to be raised with him, we should live our lives the way God intended and not abuse these things that God has given us to enjoy, but do them in the right way. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. So he's saying, since the Holy Spirit lives in us, we shouldn't pervert sex by having sex outside of marriage or with a harlot or with someone who's not our spouse. Because essentially when we do that, we're taking Christ, the Holy Spirit, into the sinful act with us. In that culture, there was a lot of prostitution and a lot of prostitution in the name of godly worship. They had this pagan worship with sex in Corinth. It was a big deal. In fact, as I was preparing for this lesson, I saw that This was amazing to me. 
14 of the first 15 Roman emperors were homosexuals. So it was the culture. You think our culture today is crazy. It was crazy. So I think this speaks to us every bit today in our current culture. And he says, may it never be. Verse 16, or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says the two will become one flesh. So casual sex, he's saying, is sinful. And making yourself one with someone who's not your wife, you're bringing the Holy Spirit as a believer right with you into that sexual act, into that sinful act. What that does is it grieves the Holy Spirit. Keep your finger right here and let's go back over to Ephesians where we were a few months ago. Ephesians 4.30, just over to the right just a bit. And Paul writes, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So when we sin, we're causing the Holy Spirit to grieve. And our sin, whatever our sinful acts may be, it causes the Holy Spirit to not be able to work within us the way that the Holy Spirit wants to work within us until we confess that sin and free the Holy Spirit to work with us again. A similar verse is in, if you want to go over there to the right, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. I'll just go over there real quick. It says, do not quench the Spirit. So similar in that sin can cause the Holy Spirit not to be able to function in our lives the way the Holy Spirit wants to help us. And we need to repent. We need to confess that sin and ask the Holy Spirit to help us move away from that type of sinful lifestyle. Verse 17, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Again, he's saying the Holy Spirit is in our body. And while he's talking about sex with a harlot right now, I think this applies to pornography, which is rampant. I think most men struggle at some point in their life with pornography or even lusting as they see pretty women wherever you may be, on a beach, at a pool, or wherever, walking down the street. I think it applies to that as well. He's saying flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. And it's against this mystical, spiritual union that we have with Christ. And I really feel bad for our grandkids, you know, the young kids today, because at least when we were growing up, it was just magazines, and they were pretty hard to find, but <laughs> they were around, and they were nothing compared to what is now readily available to anybody, anytime on the internet. I'm so glad that, I, that in my teenage years, that wasn't as readily available as it is now. I just really feel terrible for people growing up right now with that type of temptation that's out there. So verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So to have immoral sex, to deal with pornography, all these things, it is dishonoring to Christ. I think what Paul's saying is it's a form of rebellion against God. It's just like what happened with Adam and Eve. You know, they decided they wanted to do their own thing and they weren't going to do what God asked them not to do, commanded them not to eat the fruit of the tree. And they said, you know what? We're going to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And that happens to us all the time. 
So just a couple of things that I take away from this chapter today, and then let's talk about how do we apply this in our own lives. I think the first part of this is that we as Christians, we should work out our disputes with each other and avoid court and try to work those things out, particularly with fellow Christians. Not doing that can cause damage to the reputation and witness of the church. And so I think we are called to try to work out our disputes with others in a way that, you know, if you've got a dispute with another brother, find another Christian and take it to them and let them try to help us work that out. I think that's something we could even do. Those of you who practice law, that might be a way that you can help people avoid court altogether by trying to help them reconcile their differences with others. I think he's also saying that as believers, we have a new identity and we should live differently than everyone else. And then he finishes up really talking about sexual immorality and how it dishonors Christ. And we're essentially taking the Holy Spirit and Christ into these sexual immoral acts, whatever they may be, uh, right there with us. And that's not how God has called us to live. So thoughts, comments. Question uh, for Bill and Brian and others a little closer to the practice. Is there, are there uh, Christian mediators that hold themselves out uh, as sort of following these biblical principles? Uh, I'm sure there are. Most mediators don't hold themselves out that way, even if they are Christian. But just about mediation in general, and kind of follow Larry's point, I think mediation has been a great development in the whole body of law because the whole spirit of it is to reach a compromise. It's non-binding. Each side goes into it, the understanding that at any point in time they can walk away. The mediator's charged with finding common ground. So just by the nature of mediation, it, it is Christian in, in spirit, whether or not the mediator itself is Christian, that it avoids the courthouse and, and allows the parties to both reflect on what they may have done to contribute to whatever the dispute is and, and try to reach accord themselves. I know, for example, in family law, that's a big component now of resolving horse cases is reaching these mediated resolutions, and that's that's a huge component of it. Still, ideally, everything, any dispute you ever get into, you need to pray very hard for God's leadership and the Spirit's leadership on every step you take, because the fact that you're in a dispute means that something's gone wrong, and uh, usually it's those sides that have contributed to that, uh, almost always. It's definitely a complicated arena because the idea of turning the other cheek and seeking forgiveness is such a huge component of what we're taught, and we all individually should always try to honor that. But there's always circumstances where you're standing up for what's right or you're standing up for other people, protecting other people from being harmed. Sometimes you have to file a lawsuit just to be able to get available insurance to cover an event. There's always factors in why sometimes litigation is necessary, but it should be kind of a last resort as opposed to a, a way to start out a controversy. Larry, at great risk of being asked to leave this room, I, I do want to comment. <laughs> I do believe that what Paul is grieving about here is that we get to this point. As believers, there should be something distinctive about us. And he's expressed that all the way through this, this book of Corinthians, and he'll, all the way through it's going to be that way. And I think that's what he's grieving over is that distinctiveness of being born again and changed is being muddled and lost in life. And nobody wants to be wrong. Nobody wants to lose. And I think that's where Paul's coming from here. Yes, we get to a point where the law is necessary and other things are necessary. I don't dispute that at all. But just from 
point of view and a Christian and biblical point of view, I, I think Paul is, is greatly disturbed and greatly grieved that the church of the Lord Jesus, who has been transformed uh, with new creatures in Christ, are living just like everybody else. And I think that's what's hurting. Yeah, as I go through 1 Corinthians, it just brings to my mind, I feel like I'm reading about the city of Austin, although it could be any city. It's really our culture throughout the United States, if not the world. It's incredible to me to see this book written 2,000 years ago, and it is so applicable still today. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.